This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to The Hash. You're watching us here on Coindesk TV. Jen is shaking her head because she dictated that today was pink day. We're trying our best, except for Adam, who is wearing blue. That's Adam B. Levine right there, Jen Sanasi, <laughs> still shaking her head. And Sandli Handagama <laughs> joining us with some kind of pink. Jen, does Sandli's at least check out? I mean, Sandli is doing the best out of the three of you, but I must say, I my cups are blue. Yes, so, like, it could yes. be pink and blue day today. Yes. Look at this madras. Yeah, this is so nice. You did a good job. Zach, right, we, we did the best we could. <laughs> we did the best we could. Apologies. All right. Well, we're very cheery, but the markets are not. Things down bad this morning. Adam is going to tell us about that. Yeah, thanks, Zach. So today, as Zach said, we are kicking things off with market action, which is in short, bad, really bad. Yesterday saw the biggest single day decline in two months for the top token and marked a continuation of the five-day downtrend that began after the price of Bitcoin topped $25,000 on the 14th. And this isn't just limited to Bitcoin. Ether also dropped by more than 9% in the past 24 hours, and other top-traded tokens like Ripple are showing double-digit losses. The catalyst behind the move, at least from what I can tell, is the increasing recognition that the U.S. central bank may not return to market supportive policies quite yet, as inflation continues to rage both domestically and abroad. Last month's rally kicked off in late July after the Fed raised rates by a historically large three-quarters of one percentage point, as largely predicted by markets. And coming out of that news, these markets seem to assume two things. One, that inflation had peaked, and two, that the Federal Reserve would ease off of monetary policy moves that have sunk risk assets across categories for the last couple of months. Yesterday, minutes from that July Fed meeting were released, and the disconnect between what the central bank was saying that they wanted to happen and what markets had actually done since the meeting seemed a little bit too difficult to reconcile. And following that release, we also saw several regional central bank presidents give talks with traders in traditional markets interpreted as bearish for risk assets. So there's a lot of action here, but it's actually mostly not about cryptocurrency from what I can tell. Really, cryptocurrency is the cork that's sort of floating up and down with the tide that is monetary policy and markets in general. Zach, I'll kick this one back to you first. You know, I mean, kind of what's your read on it, having seen markets for so long? I didn't mean to call you old, but sorry. <laughs> it's okay, I'm old. Don't worry about Adam, it. Adam, just on a roll today. I am. I am. Sweatshirt First man. of the blue. <laughs> Back in my day. Yeah, markets, man. Markets be like that. They'd be moving up and they'd be moving down. It's interesting to watch, obviously, and many people in the space are highly attached to the number of the price of Bitcoin and of Ethereum. Ethereum especially has been sort of seeing a really strong run of late. So for it to also sink uh, speaks to the broader climate. Definitely macroeconomic headwinds, you know, remain a big story, I think, for the crypto markets, right? You know, I think uh, Bitcoin has long been hypothesized as an inflation hedge. This is sort of the first uh, adverse macroeconomic environment in which it has been in the spotlight. And it's not doing great. Uh, it's not doing great. And I think, uh, you know, it's struggling to stay north of 20,000, which is a pretty, uh, pretty low number for something that touched as high as 69,000 not too long ago. So to watch uh, the vacillation, the, the up, the down, the sideways, the crab walk, that's markets for you. And that's what I got. So Jen, I'm going to throw it to you for your thoughts <laughs> on what is a pretty red day over in the markets. I had much of the same thoughts. I think this is a really good reminder that it might be tempting to put a bunch of money into Bitcoin, Bitcoin or Ether when the price goes down. But it's a good reminder that crypto is still a volatile asset. So don't invest 
what you cannot afford to lose or at least cannot afford to hold on to for a very long time. I think before the price of Bitcoin was an indicator of what's going on in the industry, much to what you were saying, Zach, right now, it really just kind of follows the macroeconomic trends. So I think we could have expected this to happen. So if you are new to the space, I don't think you should be put off by the industry when you see the price go up and down. I think it's very obvious that the industry is still trucking along. There's still money piling into a lot of different projects, but the price of Bitcoin is really just kind of following traditional financial trends. Sandali, what do you got? Well, I don't know. I'm in pink. I'm feeling less Mr. Burns today. So I'm just going <laughs> to inject some tiny good news. You know what's not following macroeconomic trends and having a great moment? Fan tokens. Fan tokens are up this week and this one in a weird direction all over the place i know <laughs> bear with me it's football season in europe and everywhere else so it's a good time people are you know excited about a lot of new updates from that space and one token santos is up 30% or something in the last 7 days so crypto can be bad but there's also good bits here and there in it for and something for everyone right so I don't know. It's Friday. I'm in a good mood. So I'm going to be like, yeah, it's risky. Yeah, it's weird. But it's also fun and exciting if you know where to look. Honestly, <laughs> with just the out of left field take. Your pommy sucks, but some random low cap yeah. fan token that you've never heard of <laughs> is pumping. And that's good. What? Honestly, what are you doing? On a Friday. <laughs> what are you doing? I need to talk back to Adam to rein it in. Adam, what's going on? I saw Adam's oh, face. Man. I'm excited I'm, for this. Go on. I'm honestly not sure if it's better giving it back to me. The thing about all of this stuff to me, you know, for a long time, I've considered most of what happens in crypto to be gambling, right? Because effectively what you're doing is you're betting on certain outcomes. It's speculation. There's really a small difference between gambling and speculation. One of the most frustrating things about markets today is that markets tend to trade pretty close together. And that's because of these macro trends that we're talking about. And so there was a story yesterday um, that, uh, that jumped out at me about the uh, Bed Bath & Beyond uh, action that was happening over in that stock. And there was a story of a 20-year-old trader who collected $27 million from friends and family to acquire a more than 6% stake in the company, which he then sold for a 600% profit less than a month after doing the trade, right? That's an insane story that can only happen in markets and clown world where like nothing happens for reasons that make sense and everything happens because it's all about something else. So the way I intro this story was like 10% about crypto and like 90% about what the Federal Reserve is doing. Because to me, that's almost the only thing that matters in markets today, which makes markets not fun. It makes it so markets are, you know, like you have to care about all of this stuff that has nothing to do with the thing that you actually are trying to care about because it's all that kind of matters. So, you know, it's a less fun take, right? But that's the thing that I find so frustrating about markets today is just that the way that you trade them is not how you should trade them. You trade them instead based on all these other things. Anyways, we can move on to a more fun topic, hopefully. Well, I don't think it gets we, more fun from here. No sorry. more fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, here to, I'm here to rug you on that. Uh, we're talking about real world ramifications of the market meltdown. Hodel not. Not fun. the beloved Twitter account that was one time embroiled in a legal fight with Craig Wright, but instead, crypto lending firm Hodelnot, based in Singapore, is making some pretty significant job cuts. They disclosed in a blog post that they were laying off about 40 people, that's roughly 80% of its staff, 
as they remain engaged with regulators in Singapore over some undisclosed proceedings. Yeah, this is the real world ramification here. And I think the thing to highlight is that this all started with Terra. They noted in their blog post that these losses stem from being exposed to the Terra ecosystem where Luna and UST collapsed. A lot of lenders were uh, getting yield from the Anchor protocol, which was the thing that propped up the Terra ecosystem for many, many a month. And as a result of those losses, now they are faced with the hard decision of having to let go about 80% of their staff. So this is a hard one for Hodlinot. We'll see if they can bounce back as it stands right now. Not so great for this firm. Also another crypto lending black eye. We'll toss it straight to, hmm, let me see, hmm, Jen. Jen, what do you think about this Hodlinot story? Ooh. Okay, so what I did when I read the story is I went straight to the Hodlinot website. And I am so disappointed. I know I go on and on about communications and marketing. And I know that, you know, Hodelnot is really trying to get some piece of their company in order so that retail customers and users can get that initial deposit back. But it was so disappointing to see. So there's this really small banner at the top right now. And it says, important, withdrawal, withdrawals, token swaps, and deposits are halted. And it's in really small font. And then the website just remains the same. So underneath that in large font, taking up the whole page is the easiest way to earn interest on cryptocurrencies, followed by a 4.8 star rating on Trustpilot. And this is just so disappointing to see. User funds have been frozen. I know there's been some communication, but it seems to be buried in their website. If your users are looking for information on what this all means and what this judicial management means for them and their money. They're going to go to your website. They're not going to find any information. And it's going to be really bad if you're trying to create a brand after this or trying to regain user trust once all of this is said and done. So I was very disappointed to see that on, on the website this morning. On the other side of things, the judicial management process seems interesting. There's going to be a court-appointed person who kind of oversees the company now, makes business decisions and tries to get them into a place where users can get their funds back. I, I wonder if that is going to work and, and maybe that can work for some other companies um, in Singapore that have fallen victim to the contagion that we've seen so far. Sandali, where are you going to take this story? Okay, I'm going to be very serious now. I just want to kind of emphasize the kind of broader regulatory efforts. We knew there was going to be some accelerated efforts from regulators following Terra. We're seeing a lot of action from Asia, actually, um, especially places like Singapore and South Korea, where, you know, they were kind of uh, places that blockchain and crypto and later DeFi companies were drawn to because of the interest in tech and, you know, especially in places like Singapore for regulatory clarity, right? But we've seen like South Korea has investigations, raids and crackdowns over after Terra. Now, um, Singapore is dealing with Three Arrows Capital, now Hodlnot, and Japan's coming down on its regulatory, uh, self-regulatory body. Um, we're seeing Indonesia kind of, you know, sifting through these local tokens in, in local listings. So it's interesting to see this. And, and we're seeing police action um, in South Korea and now in Singapore as well. So that's important to note. Adam, I saw your hand earlier. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, there's a couple of different things here. Uh, to Jen's point, I think one of the reasons why companies don't really go out of their way to, you know, advertise the fact that they've made these mistakes and that they're currently in this sort of mess of their own creation in many circumstances is because customers are going to know. 
So it's not really an issue of communicating it to your customers. It's really more of a question of how are you communicating this to the rest of the world that probably doesn't even know that you exist. And I think that what you see is that there's like a, Sam Kessler wrote a story a couple of days ago about a series of conferences in South Korea and South Korea home to the, you know, UST and Terra ecosystems, uh, you know, and basically how at this series of conferences during South Korea or during uh, Korean blockchain week, like nobody talked about Terra. There were no, you know, introspective, you know, discussions. There were no panels. There were many, many people there who were involved both as investors and as boosters, frankly. Uh, but it was not like there was some deep soul searching, even as an industry of people not necessarily directly involved in that. And, and I think that's the same thing here is there's a perception that if we just don't talk about this stuff and if we just keep it as quiet as possible, then that's actually a better outcome because it'll draw less attention. But my sense has always been that to the extent that we're not introspective about our failures is to the extent that we sort of force the outside world to become more, you know, uh, extroverted about our failures, right? <laughs> That's the reason why we're talking about it today. And so I think that it's a real missed opportunity in a lot of these circumstances. And Zach, kicking it up to you. Huge amen and plus one to that on the comms advice that was just laid down. Lean into the failures. Don't avoid the failures. It's a sign of weakness if you avoid the failures. Yep. Lean into it. Embrace it. Tell us what you learned. We're going to talk about more stuff. Tether revealing that it has indeed reduced its commercial paper holdings in its backing of the USDT stablecoin. Coindesk has a new event. It's called Ideas, the Investing in Digital Assets and Enterprises Summit. It facilitates capital flow and market growth by connecting the digital economy with traditional finance. Join us for a 360 investment experience where you can source, invest, and secure the next big deal in digital assets, all in one place. Use code HASH20 for 20% off a general pass. Register today at coinest.com forward slash ideas. Tether announced it has a brand new accounting firm, one of the top five ranked in the world called Video Italia, and today it has published its first report reaffirming the stablecoin issuer's reserve breakdown as of June 30th this year. Stablecoin reserves, specifically Tether's USDT reserves, have been scrutinized quite a few times by regulators, stakeholders, and journalists, mainly asking how much out of the billions in reserves were made up of commercial paper, which are unsecured short-term debt issued by corporations or financial institutions. BDO Italia has confirmed a 58% decline in Tether's commercial paper holdings from the last quarter to $8.5 billion as of June 30th. And in another statement, Tether said its goal is to drop commercial paper reserves to $200 million by the end of August and zero by the end of the year. The company also said that BDO Italia will be publishing attestations each month rather than once per quarter, as it has been doing so far. It has also said that changing its accounting firm and publishing these monthly reports is the next step towards a full independent audit, which would look at the company's financials over a period of time instead of the snapshots we're given with these attestations. Regulatory scrutiny aside, Tether has had quite a rough year. USDT lost its peg to the dollar in May, just as Terra was crashing, but has regained it since. Meanwhile, total USDT reserves are down some $16 billion in the second quarter to end up at around $66 billion. So I should be in jail for throwing so many numbers at you guys on a Friday. But um, <laughs> before I go, it seems like 
This is a real push to, to increase credibility and trust in the company after quite a bit of drama. But I've seen some chatter on Twitter that folks might not be buying into it. So interested to hear what you guys think. Adam, I'm going to give it to you first. You know what? I'm actually going to let Zach go first on this. And Zach, go ahead and take this. I'll follow oh, up. I'm okay. taking it. I beg to differ. I think it's been a fantastic Sorry, year Zach. for Tether. Whatever the, whatever the stumbles are that Tether has faced this year, pale in comparison to whatever past stumbles and whatever else has gone on in the world of stablecoins has made Tether look pretty darn solid. Crazy to say it, but this is indeed the narrative that is emerging around Tether, right? This is a trusty, huge asset in the crypto world that has proved pretty resilient despite some momentary peg slippage and other things that have popped up along the way here in 2022. But yeah, algorithmic stablecoins imploding massively and leading to all sorts of weird contagion and massive pain. That's made asset-backed stablecoins like Tether and certainly USDC look pretty damn good by comparison. So I beg to differ on the point that Tether's had a rough go of it. I think indeed they seem to have be coming out looking pretty decent. But hey, I'll toss it to Adam for his thoughts. Yeah, so my disclosure with Tether as usual is that I was involved in the early stages back in 2014 of the uh, profiling and specification for Tether. I did not actually work on or launch the project, but I do have that in my past. So with regards to the current moment that we're in with it, you know, I've long said that Tether is a significant indicator on the road to boring for crypto, where crypto just becomes this like thing that you don't have to think about. It just is, you know, in the same way that we don't think about money for the most part, <laughs> except for when it's not working very well. Effectively, what, what we're talking about is how does uh, USDT manage the treasury, right? Because for each of their dollar pig tokens that's out there, they're supposed to have one dollar of assets. And really, people would like it if they had one actual dollar. Now, the challenge with having one actual dollar is that the way that Tether makes their money off of the operation of the Tether protocol is in large part by managing those reserves and by investing them into things that even if they're in something just like a U.S. treasury, well, Tether doesn't pay interest on reserves to people who hold their tokens, which means that they keep all of the funds that they can generate basically off of those uh, reserves as their profit. And if you look at how much reserves they have, even after, you know, even with losing some market share in percentage terms to USDC, mostly USDC over the last you know, year or two, they still have tens of billions of dollars of assets under management against which they can collect these, these fees and this interest, right? So that's the question is, what, what, how much risk should Tether as a company put uh, the reserves at in order to gain that profit? What is a reasonable amount of profit we should expect for them to earn uh, off of that? They were investing it in commercial paper, a lot of commercial paper. And commercial paper is basically loans to companies, which is not a terribly secure way to actually manage the reserves. And so as transparency has become more prevalent, both because they've been forced to provide some transparency, which let us see into those books for the first time, and then also because USDC as a competitor in their space has been also doing transparency, it's forced Tether to up their game and to really reduce the level of risk that takes place within uh, these dynamics I've been talking about. So that's, I think, what this moment is today. It's a continuation of the trend that we've largely been seeing since USDC started to matter and started to, to kind of bite at the market share that Tether for so many years was really the only player with any significance. So that's my take on it. I'm going to kick it over to you, Jen, for last words. Yeah, so I'm just going to take our audience down a quick trip down memory lane so you know what we're talking about as we talk about how Tether got to this space. So 2017, a lot of scrutiny, right? Then Tether kept promising an audit, but we haven't seen an audit. 2021, they reached an $18.5 million settlement with the New York Attorney General. They accused them of misrepresenting their reserves. They didn't deny or, and they didn't admit. They just paid the fine February 2021. 
They started providing quarterly attestations. In July, BDO Italia took over these attestations. Now they're being published monthly. I think we can see when we look at the history here, how we got to this point where Tether is being forced to be more transparent. And they've made a lot of, I would say, good business decisions along the way, especially given what we've seen happen to stable coins over the past few months. So I think they've done a really good job at staying ahead of what's happening, being more transparent, looking at what's happening in the industry and reacting to that. So I don't know. I think this is a great story. But shall we move into our last Friday story, which is quite a fun one. Meta is taking flack over its metaverse. So the company released Horizon Worlds in Spain and France this week with a photo of Mark Zuckerberg's avatar enjoying France and Spain at the same time. So maybe we can get that avatar up on the screen. Take a look. It's quite hilarious. There it is. What is going on? This is just so much fun and begs so many questions. People are laughing. Um, saying that the imagery looks like it's from the 90s and are asking the question, is Meta really prepared to compete in the metaverse? When we look at some of these other companies who have been building gaming worlds for decades, we look at their imagery, it is quite vastly different than what we're seeing on the screen here. Adam, you are our resident gamer. Um, when you see this, do you beg that question? Do you think, you know, based on this image, Facebook can't do it. They can't play in the in the gaming world. There are a bunch of companies out there doing it better right now. So I always think that it's fun to make fun of Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. I mean, let's just be real. <laughs> like, you know, as far as the billionaires who are out there who you can make fun of, you know, without being concerned, like he seems like he's pretty okay. Uh, Zach, I'll get to you in a second. But uh, as far as the, uh, like, as far as kind of the art and what we're talking about here, Honestly, this looks like a typical early metaverse experience, right? If you're familiar with any of the platforms, uh, you know, that are out there that offer this type of kind of 3D chat world type of thing, like this is very consistent with that. So I think mm -hmm. that it's tempting to, to just kind of wave this away and be like, oh, hey, this proves that they're not actually serious. I think the reality is, is that the amount of money that they're investing means that whether or not this is a good product or a good first indicator, they're serious and they're spending the money to do it. We probably won't see the results of that money for a decent amount of time because they really have no incentive to kind of push this. A lot of the problems about Metaverse today are really built around the hardware, right? And the experience of actually using it in that way. And that's kind of the challenge that you need to get past. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if they were investing a quarter to half of the money that they're putting into this project actually in hardware efforts that we're not seeing at all. Because really, we need to get to a place where it's just as simple as putting on a pair of sunglasses, right? At that point, Suddenly, all of this stuff makes a lot more sense than it does today with these big, you know, headsets that you, you know, strain your neck and you look like an idiot and you run into walls and it's lots of fun. I've been doing it since the <laughs> early days, but it's not so great. Zach, making fun of Facebook's played out. It's just too easy. It's just like <laughs> it's just like I don't know. Like get over it. Like Facebook does something and people make fun of Facebook. Great, like cool headline. Sweet, I'm bored. But yeah, this just looks like Decentraland, right? It's a closed metaverse. It's not the open metaverse that you can find in Decentraland. But this is what the metaverse is, right? These are more immersive online experiences. You can go to the metaverse casino and play blackjack. That's what the metaverse is. That's kind of what the metaverse looks like at this point in time. And the question is whether do you prefer a more open metaverse or a more closed metaverse? And I think what the Facebook metaverse represents is a more walled garden, right? A more controlled, maybe more inviting, maybe more friendly, maybe even a better experience than some of the open metaverse platforms out there. But the question is, do you want to play in that walled garden and take the trade-offs of doing so? 
Or do you want to have true digital ownership that can travel with you to whatever metaverse you ultimately want to check out? And that's really the question that I think Meta, Facebook, is going to have to face when they're building their metaverse. Is it going to play nicely with other metaverses out there on the internet in Web 2 and in Web 3? And that's really incumbent upon them to think that through. And it's going to be super interesting to see what they build or what they don't build with this big investment in the metaverse. So are they going for the only game in town or are they going to play nice with some of the existing options out there? That's my thought on this. Besides just Mark Zuckerberg looking funny. (laughs) Remember that photo where he had like all the sunscreen on and he was like Um. on the surfboard, (laughs) the foil thing? That's a good... That was... That was the best one. But anyway, I do sound like it. you. Sundley? All right. Sundley can't hear us. Anymore. I made fun of, I made fun of her no, fans. No. Take, and that's totally fine. It's totally fine. I, I deserve that silence, Sundley. It's, I'm it's sorry. Cool. I, I just that saw one. it and it looked pretty no, interesting. And yeah. It's Nobody okay. likes football it's here. It's just me. Sorry. Yeah, I don't have any fan tokens. Disclosure. Oh my God. It's so Just Friday. in case Canadian. you're wondering. <laughs> Somebody's <laughs> pumping her fan tokens. Pamping this was no, an no, opportunity <laughs> yes. to come on the show and pump those fan tokens. That's right. No, that's just, right. That was a joke. Fan token. <laughs> All right. We kid. We kid. All right. That's it for the show today. We're going to wrap it right there. Thanks for watching us this week. This was Color Coordination Week on the Ash. Don't be fooled by the current lineup. We did it. We went from <laughs> yellow to red to purple. I think there was some pink involved we today. We did some blue. It was great. We- what a week. What are we going to do next time? Who knows? Check us out on Monday. We'll be back here. Also, check us out on the podcast network if you haven't already. Great way to get this on the go. All right. I'm Zach Seward, Sonali Hanagama, Jen Sanasi, Adam B. Levine. We're The Hash. We're wishing you a good weekend. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.